listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So the scripture today is uh, James uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I am continue to be thankful to Dan for tackling parts of scripture that I at least find challenging. Verse 8 in particular, I have struggled with every time I have read it. In my heart of hearts, I believe that doubt is an indispensable thing to belief and faith, just like fear is indispensable to courage. And so I'm excited to hear where he's going. He, he bit off a good one for his first week back with us. Please Read along as I word the read of the, as I read the word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance complete its work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kurt, for that reading. You know, you're right. James is a challenging book. Um, And one of the things that makes it tricky to preach on, too, is in the first chapter of James, he's basically introducing a bunch of stuff that's going to come up later. So we might not get to everything, like every question answered yet, but it's coming. It's coming later. Um, Before we get started, though, i got to give another shout-out to Pastor Elisha, who did just a phenomenal job preaching through the Sermon on the Mount this summer. So good. Um, I was listening to the sermons while I was off because I have a hard time letting go, um, and, and she did great. Um, shout out as well uh, to James Weissy and uh, Thomas Gant, who I know filled the pulpit as well this summer. You did fantastic as well, um, and it is just such a blessing um, having, having these amazing teachers in our midst uh, who can give so much insight and uh, wisdom. Uh, I, I love it, and, and I, know, I know you're all grateful for it, too. We're starting a new series today on the book of James, and I am super excited because James is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Um, James is a letter. If you're not familiar with how the New Testament kind of works, you basically have the Gospels and Acts, which are your stories about Jesus and the early church, and then the rest of the New Testament is just a collection of letters from uh, early church leaders, people like uh, Peter and Paul and John, but James is by far my favorite. And I know that uh, as a pastor, I probably shouldn't be playing favorites with books of the Bible, right? Um, you know, and I get that, that's true. Um, but it's kind of like being a parent, you know? Like we say we don't have a favorite child, but come on. I'm kidding. I'm joking. It's just a joke. Kids, it's just a joke. Parents don't play. We don't play favorites. I love both of my children equally. Just ask Miriam and uh, what's his name? Um, No, no. 
But uh, so the book of James is a great book. It's short. Uh, It only takes up about three pages in our pew Bible, so you can read this thing in like 15 minutes. Uh, But despite its small stature, the book of James is just filled with insights into what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, as much as I love James and as Kurt kind of reflected before he read the passage, James has not been a favorite of many Christians kind of throughout church history. You don't hear a lot of sermons on James. There aren't a lot of teaching series designed on the book of James. Uh, Most pastors will either focus on the Gospels or the letters of Paul. James kind of gets overlooked, honestly, which is a shame. Uh, Believe it or not, there have even been efforts to remove James from the Bible. Have any of us heard of Martin Luther? Are we familiar with, with Martin Luther? Uh, next slide, because we got a picture of Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King Jr. We like Martin Luther King Jr. I'm talking about Martin Luther, uh, 15th century German priest, uh, kick-started the Reformation, uh, which is good, but he was not a fan of James. Uh, Lutheran churches are named after this guy, to give you, to give you a touchstone. Um, when Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, First person to do that, by the way, which is pretty cool. Um, He tried to take the book of James out. He tried to leave out James. He didn't like James because it it contradicted his theology. Don't you hate it when the Bible contradicts your theology? Isn't that the worst? As a pastor, that's the worst. Uh, Eventually, though, Martin Luther left James in the Bible. um, But in the Luther Bible, he moved James to the very end of the Bible, and he didn't list it on his table of contents, which is just wild. Don't get me wrong, though. um, James is a tricky book. Uh, It's a challenging book, and just from the opening lines of this letter, as we heard, you can see why some of us are going to struggle with James. Uh, This is from James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. My brothers and sisters, Whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it joy when you face trials. That sounds a little out of touch, right? Like, it's easy for you to say, James, you don't know my life, my experience, my challenges, my trials, but it gets worse uh, in verse 5. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That sounds kind of toxic, if you ask me. In fact, there is a super destructive way that this passage has been read and interpreted by church after church after church. Uh, We see it in the prosperity gospel, uh, some TV preachers. The interpretation goes something like this. If you have a need, just ask God. And if you have enough faith, you'll get it. Health problems, finances, marriage on the rocks, just ask God for whatever you need, and if you believe hard enough, God will give you what you want. What'd you say? Toxic, absolutely. But that's, that's the theology we call name it and claim it, right? Uh, the kind of ask and ye shall receive on steroids. But only if you have faith is always the little sticking point. Which implies 
that if you pray and you ask something and you don't have, you don't get it in the end, then clearly you must not have had enough faith. That's toxic. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, one of my biggest fears that I worried about all the time was that my parents would get a divorce. Um, Most of my friends were raised by single moms. They hardly ever saw their dads. Um, Families were always fighting over them. And I was terrified as a kid, six, seven years old, that that was going to happen to me. And I remember, especially at night, my parents would argue. They'd be screaming at each other. And I would be in my room. I'd close my door, and I would pray. And I would ask God to just help them get along. Just make them love each other. Uh, Hold my parents together. But it didn't work out. My parents eventually split up after years of fighting and tension and abuse. Honestly, they probably stayed married way longer than they should have. And eventually they got divorced. Is that because I didn't pray hard enough? No. Was was seven-year-old Dan lacking in faith? No, I don't think so. And I don't think that's what James is trying to say either. Remember, we're dealing with a letter here. And to understand a letter, to understand any piece of writing really, especially in the Bible, you've got to know something about the context. With a letter, bare minimum, right? We got to know who wrote the letter, right? And who were they writing to? Like that's, if you don't know that, you, you can't really say anything about it. So those are the two questions I want to grapple with today. Who wrote the book of James, and who were they writing to? Those are the questions I want to get into the context. And maybe when we answer these two questions, we'll be able to unpack a little bit of the message of this letter. Does that sound like a plan? Excellent. Let's get into it. Let's start with the first question. Who wrote James? James. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's good. Um, So this one's easy, right? It's right there in in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A last name would be nice, right? Like that, that is not a super descriptive way to introduce oneself. Um, Reading this, though, and thinking about it this week, it is kind of like when I send an email out to the church, right? Like I usually just sign it. Pastor Dan, because you all know who I am. Um, I don't have to write, like, Reverend Dr. Dan Brockway of Brockport, New York, son of Diane, right? Like, you, you don't need <clears throat> any of that information because you know me. We have a relationship. So this letter is probably coming from a leader in the early church who is well-known and who knows the people he's writing to. And the broad sort of scholarly consensus is that the book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Yes, that Jesus. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I got an ancient icon of James here. It's on the next slide, if we just hit to the next one. There we go, James, artist representation of James. In these icons, they always put a halo around the head of the departed saint, but for the longest time this week, I thought that was a hat. Um, <laughs> like looking at this, it looks like the sultan from Aladdin or something. Um, <clears throat> but that, that is supposed to be James, the brother of Jesus. Now, there are some other candidates for who the James of this letter could have been. There were a lot of Jameses in the New Testament. T- uh, two of the disciples were named James. Um, 
really not much has changed. I mean, how, how many Jameses do we have in our church, <laughs> right? We got, we got Jim Simboli. We got Jim Sensi, who's wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt, um, we got <laughs> which is perfect. We got James Weissey. Uh, my son, Zeke, I know his name. Uh, his middle name is James. It's a good name, and, and not much has changed. But for a variety of reasons that I'm not going to bore you with right now, um, basic assumption, consensus, tradition, we're pretty confident James, the brother of Jesus, is the James of this letter. Now, a few things to know about James. He was not a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry, as far as we know. Uh, There's a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus' brothers actually show up when Jesus is preaching, um, and they tell everyone in the crowd that he's crazy which you hate it when that happens. Uh, you know, don't, don't listen to Jesus. He's off his meds is basically, is basically the vibe of that story. We do know at some point, though, that James becomes a follower of Jesus because by the book of Acts, James is the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, right? James pastored the first Christian community in Jerusalem. That is huge, you guys. And we also know... Uh, from the book of Acts, from the writings of Paul, that James emerged very early on in the early church as a de facto leader of the Jesus movement, especially among Jewish Christians. Remember, super important, Christianity started as a movement within Judaism, all right? It was a, it was a sect within Judaism. People like Peter and Paul would take the gospel out to to Gentiles, right, outsiders like us, but it started as a a Jewish movement, and for the Jewish Christians especially, James was their guy. And the case for him being the James of this letter gets especially strong when we see who he was writing to. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Okay. Okay. Stay with me. How many of us, when you hear or when you read 12 tribes of the dispersion, it's just like right over your head, like no clue what he's talking about. Ellen, thank you for your honesty. Um, So what that's a reference to, uh, in the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, are a nation made up of 12 tribes. Uh, I have a tattoo on my arm right here. Um, by the way, don't recommend a tattoo where your arm bends. It was painful. Um, but I, I have a tattoo right here of 12 stars. And people have assumed that it's a reference to the 12 disciples, people who are, who are uh, actually counting them. Um, but it's actually a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. And that story, when God tells Abraham to look up in the sky and to count the stars, and God says, that's how numerous your descendants will be, the 12 tribes of Israel. So when James addresses his letter to the 12 tribes, he's drawing on the cultural and religious identity of his people. It would be like if I said, uh, where's my Bill's Mafia at? Anyone? Any Bill's Mafia here? Bueller? Ghost Steelers? Anybody? No, but that would would be the same sort of thing, kind of, because football is our religion. Um, But there's more. James calls them the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And if you know the story, then you know that God's people, the Israelites, are a people who were conquered over and over and over again. The Egyptians enslaved them. 
The Babylonians drove them into exile. The Assyrians almost wiped them out. The Greeks and the Romans and the Persians colonized them. And all those centuries of persecution had the effect of scattering the Jewish people, dispersing them, dispersion. And if you were a Jewish Christian, if you followed Jesus, then you experienced dispersion on at least two levels. Not only were you a targeted ethnic minority within a much larger empire, but if you followed Jesus as a Jew, you were probably cut off by your family and your religious community. Good, good chance back then. The first Christians were kicked out of the synagogues. Many were disowned by their parents. Um, they were arrested and put on trial for the state or by the state, all for following a failed Messiah named Jesus, James's brother. We also know that many of the early Christians were incredibly poor, and we're going to see a lot of references throughout this letter to poverty and economic inequality. James has a lot to say about economic inequality. Uh, he is not a fan, so that's, that's going to be fun to read. And maybe you've never suffered on quite the level of the first disciples, but I think every single one of us can relate on at least some level to the experience of dispersion, scattering. If you've ever been on the outs from your family, if you're ever told by some church that you didn't belong, if you've struggled financially uh, or if the road ahead was unclear, if you've ever been the victim of violence, if you were forced to live or to work under conditions that were unsafe, that's dispersion. That's what James is speaking to. James is writing as someone well acquainted with suffering. His own brother was executed without cause. James lost friends, colleagues, eventually his own life to martyrdom, and he's writing as a pastor to a community of people who have it just as bad. And in that context, the opening words of this letter hit a little bit differently for me. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance complete its work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing." Consider it all joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Good vibes. Happiness ebbs and flows with our circumstances, right? It goes up, it goes down. It's based on external factors. Joy comes from within. You can suffer but still have joy. You can face crippling depression but still have joy. As Christians, we view joy as one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a gift that bubbles up within us. It's a gift from God, almost like a Christian superpower, right? Joy flows from our connection to God and the hope we have in Christ. Whenever you experience hardship of any kind, don't lose your joy. That's what I hear James saying in this letter. 
And when I think about the experience of those first Christian James's community, my mind can't help but go to communities in our own context, communities today who are under attack and facing dispersion. Hate crimes are on the rise over the last few years here in the U.S. Um, whether it's a shooting in a Bible study in Charleston or a synagogue in Pittsburgh, a supermarket in Buffalo, a Dollar General in Jacksonville, these things keep happening. People of color, religious minorities being targeted. And I think the message of James today would again be a message of hope and of grace and of endurance. Don't let this steal your joy. Don't lose hope. Don't succumb to despair. You have a light inside you that nothing can touch. No act of violence or hate, no attempt to excuse your attackers or politicize your pain. The world might be set against you, but you can pursue wholeness. You can press on. You can endure. Don't let it steal your joy. I found the art on the front of our bulletins this week uh, while I was working on this sermon. Uh, I got a picture of it here in the slides, but you can also just look at your bulletin if you got it handy. Um, This is from a South African artist named Andrew Chabele. He painted it um, on a bunch of newspapers, and if you look close, you can see that a lot of the headlines are bad news. Not all that different from newspapers that we're probably familiar with. But towering over all these headlines, overshadowing all of it, is this beautiful painting of a young woman in a brightly colored dress. And the title of this piece, Considerate Joy. Joy is incredibly powerful. Joy can overcome unimaginable pain and suffering. And to reinforce that joy, James points his audience to wisdom and faith. Verse 5 again. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. If anyone is is lacking in what? What is it again? Wisdom. That's right. We've talked about wisdom a lot this past year. This is not a blank check or a promise that God will give us anything we ask for if we have enough faith. James is not a prosperity gospel preacher. Instead, James is telling a community of suffering people that when life is too much to take, they should ask God for wisdom. Because God is generous. God loves us. And if we turn to God for wisdom, we are going to find wisdom. God, help me understand what's happening in this world right now. Help me understand my situation, what I'm going through. Help me to see all this through your eyes. Give me the mind of Christ. Give me wisdom. That should be our prayer. And briefly, but we're going to have more time to get into this in future weeks. When James talks about faith and doubt, he is not talking about believing really hard. Faith in the ancient world was something closer to loyalty or allegiance, fidelity, faithfulness. 
James is encouraging us to place 100% of our allegiance in Christ. Be all in for Jesus. That's how I read the concluding lines of our passage. Because when life does get hard, it is super tempting. It is super easy for our loyalty to waver. We drop out of community. We kind of cave into ourselves. We look for comfort in substances, distractions, anything really that will numb the pain. We start to doubt God, not so much God's existence as God's goodness, whether God is faithful, whether God cares about us. We chase other gods, but those leave us empty too. James's message to these Christians is the same as for us. Don't give up on God. In times of suffering, when things get bad, ask God for wisdom. Lean on that perfect love of God. Be all in on Jesus. Follow him. Learn from him. Live like him. We can endure all things when Christ is with us because he endured it all. Consider it all joy, my friends, because God is with us in all things. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.